Hey listeners, it's Keith from Evertrue. Evertrue is the end-to-end solution for insight, outreach, and analytics for higher ed advancement and stewardship teams around the world. Recently, we launched Evertrue Studios, Advancement's very first media hub, where subscribers have access to over 100 hours of free, on-demand original series and podcasts, all created with fundraisers in mind. Check us out at evertrue.com backslash studios. I'm Kim Naoni, and this is Mentorship Matters, a podcast that examines the current and future landscape of fundraising leaders and the power of inclusive mentorship in advancement. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Jeffrey Goldberg, former provost at the University of Arizona and long-term dean of Arizona Engineering. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Yeah, actually, actually, to be completely honest, I was an interim provost for about 18 months, so I wasn't the official provost, and that was good. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. But hey, it's still, you're, you were still provost and he did great yes. things at the University of Arizona. I sat in the chair. I had the pen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, we did a lot of interesting things over 18 months. too. So. Absolutely. So today I want to talk to you about succession planning, something that's uh, near and dear to my heart and thinking about our profession and uh, in higher education advancement and just uh, as a professional, you know, from, from a 10,000 foot level. Succession planning is something that most say in our industry don't think about. Oftentimes we sort of, uh, I hire Jeff, Jeff is a good fundraiser. I plug him in, we finish campaign, Jeff goes bye-bye. We're not thinking deliberately about how do we staff from the, you know, the assistant director level and up and how do we prepare for what's next? Because you know, it's inevitable that somebody's gonna leave and want to go do something different. So what are we doing to help prepare the organization for that succession? So talk to me about your experience with, with succession planning and why it's critical, and it was critical in your, in your roles. Okay, so uh, let, me, let me go back to the Dean job, which I did for about nine years. And so that, I have a lot more experience there. And there are two pieces here in this that I had to deal with. One of them was succession really on the faculty side. Uh, and that could be succession planning for department heads or succession planning for center directors, which were uh, units in our system that had significant leadership as well. And then there's on the staff side. And, and so I had what I thought was a fairly deep bench of people that could step into those roles. I think it's absolutely critical. One of the first books I read when I became dean was a book called Good to Great, Jim Collins. It's an excellent leadership book. I recommend it for everyone. I'll try to sell some books here while we're at it. Uh, I don't get any money from Jim, though, that's for sure. And, and one of the chapters in that book talks about what's called level five leadership. And level five leadership is really the selfless leader. And one of the key pieces of that leadership is, is making sure that your team uh, understands their role, understands their potential future role, and get them prepared to take those future roles. And I thought that was critical. So I I ran a college, but I didn't really think that there were any, what I'll call terminal positions for my really good people. And to be completely honest, I didn't wanna hire anybody who I didn't think was really good. So I had an expectation that my entire team was always looking for better positions. And if they didn't leave, then it's likely that I made either a hiring mistakes or they had a, a lifestyle change 
and they decided that they wanted to basically, uh, you know, stay in the college and be in that position. And I had a development person who's still in that role right now, who was an excellent uh, development person. And so we worked hard at working with people, providing them with opportunities. And, and typically it was every annual review, we would sit down and say, what do you see as the next position and how do we position you for that? So let me, let me give you my, uh, let me give you two ways. One was my uh, chief financial officer. Mm-hmm. And we actually had this discussion on the first day that she was on the job. I knew that she wouldn't be there more than you know, four or five years tops. And, and we literally put a list together. These are the kind of things that she needs to do to get to be the next position, which was basically assistant CFO at the university. One of those things involved going and doing an MBA. Uh, we provided opportunities for that, but she put in all the work, right? She really did the hard part. And she's right now the CFO at the University of Arizona. I mean, she's got a really good position and, and they're lucky to have someone of her quality there. On the development side, and Kim, you know that people move around every three or four years. That, that, that's not unusual. And again, oh, yeah. I wanted people on my team that wanted to be the CEO of a university foundation or, or something similar to that. And so we provided as much training as possible. We gave people hard jobs and we had high expectations so that they would be able to take that with them and, and that they could themselves develop into level five leaders, if at all possible. So the staff side, you, I think you can actually do this on the staff side. The faculty side is a little difficult. And in both cases, you do have to be careful, right? This can become a good old boys network pretty quickly, Absolutely. right? We Absolutely. pick the next person to go in and they pick the next person to go in. So you do have to have some, a little bit more openness. And so I, I always like to ask people what they want to do and, and then try to get them prepared for that next role. I, I think we did a little of that with you as well. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I, I appreciated uh, your leadership uh, of the college and how you were very focused on the big picture and you, you, you would all say, you know, Hey, it's okay to have ambition. You know, you hire people and who are ambitious and uh, you provide them opportunities to be able to, to have all the, uh, all the things they need in their toolkit to be successful for the next job. And, and so I, you know, as, as I look at organizations, I really admire one university, uh, when they bring in an assistant vice president or anybody, they have you sit down with their talent manager and they ask you, so where do you see yourself in five years? Mm-hmm. What are the, those uh, experiences that you would like to add to your portfolio? So you're coming in as an AVP. Maybe you have only managed people, but you've not managed capital projects. Maybe you have not been part of uh, campus planning committees and those things that expose you to the industry, to the, to the enterprise. And so they put those down and they put you in those committees. They put you in a mini campaign, uh, uh, you know, committee, and they have you work with leaders on campus so that you become well-rounded. Because all the things that I've, I've noticed as I I've moved up in my career has been the fact that the higher up you go, the more you deal with finances and HR and those mm-hmm. kind of things. Sure. And so a lot, of, a lot of us come into leadership roles without experience in the financial and the business side of the foundation. And I've had a couple of colleagues who went into those CEO positions and then say, oh man, so now I spend most of my time with board members, finance committee, endowment committee, go to the provost and try to uh, negotiate positions and things like that. And I'm not doing a lot of fundraising. 
And I thought that was really, that was, that was really interesting. So I tell people when they think about wanting to be in leadership as a CEO, what have you, make sure you understand the back end, the, the, the sort of like the back end, the business end of things more than the fundraising. Well, so you need to be well-rounded and, and you need to be able to pick up the skills that are required for the position. I mean, you know, personally, I didn't have any training to be dean. That's for sure. I was an associate dean for three years, but I, I was really in charge of academics. I had a great job. I mean, I was able to help people every day. But once I got in, I knew the right people to go to to get the information. And and I mean, I had I, I'm I was sophisticated enough to be able to understand financial statements and things like that. So it, I didn't have that problem. But the job of the dean is even different than the department head. I mean, it's, it's the department head on steroids in some sense. Literally the first week I had an academic integrity case uh, wow. for a faculty member, not a student, right? And a faculty member was accused of plagiarism. And so you, you, you learn on the job very much, but uh, you're prepared enough to understand that, you know, there's lots of twists and turns and that you have to be flexible. So, so I, I've already recommended good to great. Let me recommend another book, Kim. And it's called Ideal Team Player. And the author, I think, is Patrick. I, I pronounce it, I'm probably not pronouncing it right, or Lencioni or Lencioni. I'm not sure. Lencioni, Lencioni. Lencioni, okay. And and we use good to great as our model in, not good to great, we use ideal team player as our model for hiring, and especially in something like development. And Lencioni really looks at uh, three key issues. And by the way, his books are really interesting to read and, and they're sort of stories and they pull, pull ideas out of stories. He looks for people that are humble and in and, and, and development. That, I mean, that's really critical. You're part of a team. And, and again, the joke that we used to make was nobody just walks up to the dean's office and drops a big bag of money on the table. That just this doesn't happen very yeah. often. <laughs> no. I certainly have never had it. And the largest development projects, again, if people only stay in the positions four and five years, the largest development project could span four or five development officers. And, and you know very well that the large gift that we got at the University of Arizona and the College of Engineering, you were a piece of that, as was two deans before me, uh, mm -hmm. it was a piece of that as well. And oh, so yeah. you, you have to be humble to understand that you're not the whole team and you're a small part of the team. You also have to be people smart. Uh, you got to be able to look at the people across the table and understand who you're working with and understand what's important to them and be able to figure out right, how do you fit in and how do they fit in. And that's critical. And then the last piece especially in development, you've got to be hungry and, and you have to be aggressive and not to aggressive to the point of obnoxiousness, but you have to be tireless in your efforts and you have to be able to work smart. And that's true for every leadership position that I have seen, hungry, humble, smart. In fact, one of the reasons that I retired is I looked at myself and I said, I, I think I'm still humble, even though that's an odd thing to say about yourself <laughs> if you really were humble. I thought I was very people smart, and I certainly understand the University of Arizona system quite well, but I didn't think I was hungry enough to be, to really drive a college or a university at that point in time. And so I was in a position that my wife and I decided we'd rather do something else. And so I would suggest that when you're thinking about succession planning and giving people the training to move to the next position, and they have to be realistic as well. The leadership has to, the current leader has to be able to evaluate, do we think this person is hungry, humble, and people smart? 
-hmm. And we need, it, it's hard to train hunger. Can't train but, it. Yeah. It, and it, it could, I would think, I think you can train a little bit of humble if the person's willing to listen and you can train a lot of people smart. Uh, and in fact, most leadership programs are really focused around the people smart piece. And, and so what we used to do, there, there was something called ALI, Arizona Leadership Institute. And so all of my new department heads or all of the people who I thought were going to be center directors or in associate dean roles or, or, or leading other people, those were the people that we would nominate for ALI. And I was, it was nice that the ALI team, the leadership team of ALI sort of gave me a lot of leeway on who I could pick uh, and listen to my suggestions because they were all focused on what would be better for the organization and, and why would we want to train, invest money, right? Training is an investment of money in a particular person. So why would we want to invest money in that? I was able to make the case on those kinds of things pretty well. Yeah, we, uh, at my current employer, we have a program, uh, it's a leadership academy for directors who have aspirations to become senior directors. Mm -hmm. And we do, and we do those kind of things. It's sort of like our own in-house uh, advancement uh, training program. And almost everyone that has gone through that has been successful in advancing. And typically the folks have to be nominated by their, you know, leadership. They have, they have to be identified as somebody who has a tremendous upside and also has an interest in that because not everybody wants to be the uh, leader who has responsibilities for the organization. I mean, I, I have a colleague, he, uh, I was talking to him yesterday, said, man, I left the industry. I want to come back, but I don't want to be an AVP. I don't want to deal with what I used to deal with. I don't want to deal yeah. with people or any of that. I enjoy doing principal gifts work. So that's what I want to do. And I said, and, that's a-okay. You know, we and need we've those. had people just like that as well, that they said, this is, this is my job. I'm really good at it. I'm comfortable. I don't need any of this other stuff. And you have to be able to find places in your organization for successful people like that. So on the faculty side, when we were hiring faculty, I interviewed every faculty, almost every faculty candidate at the assistant professor level. One of the questions I asked was, do you see yourself more as a person who might be a department head, or do you see yourself more as a person who might be a center director, which are two completely different roles? Uh, or do you see yourself as a senior faculty member sort of working in very small groups and not leading these large efforts that a center director would be? And then based on those kinds of answers, you know, at the time we were looking for people that wanted to be center directors, especially if you were coming in an associate role rather than an assistant role. And, and we were trying to focus on large team projects. I uh, you know, mean, you get a chance to see the new space camera came out of a lot of those pieces came out of the University of Arizona. And so those images are from some of the hyperspectral cameras out of Marshall Rieke's laboratory. So you have to be able to have people in there that can, that really are selfless and be able to lead large efforts because you're in the university, the key is you're working with a lot of smart people. There's a ton of ego in the room. And as leadership, if, if your ego is the biggest ego in that room, there's going to be a fundamental problem. In fact, it's pretty clear yeah. and good to great. You're, you're at best level four if you're mm -hmm. one of those kind of people. So you can't be putting yourself first. And, and, and even as a department head, I mean, if, if the department faculty figure out that you're really working for yourself and not for the whole department, I mean, that, that's basically the beginning of the end. Uh, of your position and your all of your credibility and, and even in fundraising right I mean mm -hmm. you, your job and the job of the associate VP is how do they make the 35 people on the team all better 
Absolutely. I mean, right. I and, and and that's you're 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 playing a pyramid game in some sense, right? You're you're mm-hmm. you're only as good as your pyramid is, right? And there's no way. I mean, look, you could go out and get one twenty million dollar gift. That's certainly possible. But talk about a high risk strategy, right? So I would I, it just it just seems. Remember, we we've always talked about this, right? Development is a process. I I, I was always. I always struggled with one one year type goals in development because I always thought we were doing development for 20 years into the future, right? I, I'm really building relationships to set up that $10 million plan gift 25 years from now. And if we got that process rolling 25 years from now, the dean at that time would not be yelling at me. Uh, <laughs> why didn't you do your job better? Okay. And I didn't really want that dean to be doing that. And, and so if you're in... Uh, development and you're and you have that long-term mindset and it's all about the process then the fact that you got a 20 million dollar gift now you should really just thank the all the work that was done before you to get to that point and you just happen to be there the person that signed on the bottom line there's a lot of luck in that process oh yes i mean there's a there, there is a lot of luck i tell my my team all the time that i'm as good as they are i mean That's right. you know my my job is to block and tackle and ensure that they're successful. And without their work and the in the team's work, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, I would not, I would not be successful. And to your point about paying it forward, uh, I've I've always looked at development as paying it forward. You know, as for as long as you are with a particular institution, your job is to build the pipeline for future success, so that when you leave, you hand over cultivated relationships. That's in the best long-term uh, long-term interest of the university, but also, as you know, in in our industry, we talked earlier about people having a three-year tenure. I mean, uh, as time go, yeah. goes on, you get bombarded with offers, so there is that pressure to deliver now, so that you can stack up your yeah. stats and say, "I, I, I raised a hundred million dollars here. I built this, yeah. that, 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 and that sets you up for the for the next one." And I argue that's really not in the best interest of whatever institution you're with. And I've seen time and time when I'll go to a new situation and I look at their pipeline and say, well, what, what were these guys doing beforehand? Because yeah. we we, we, the pipeline is bare. We did a good job of closing a lot of gifts, but we did not prepare for the next. So when you launch the campaign next, you're looking around the room, you really don't have a, a, a pipeline to speak of. And that's, that's just not in the best interest of, of anybody. So the, the, I mean, the hard part for me in the, in succession planning and development is, is that things can happen very quickly and you just haven't had time to prepare the next person to really take it, take the lead when your lead person leaves. And we, we saw that, I, I think I went through that three times in five years. And they all left for much better positions. I'm not, I'm not critiquing. In fact, I even suggested that they leave once they discussed the position with me, that I'd never be able to match what they were going to be able to do. But I couldn't react fast enough. And I didn't have, I didn't have that deep bench. So if, you have, if you're in a college and you've got a development group of three people, there's not a real big bench there no. to, to, I mean, to move from. And, and I, look, I really liked having engineering development people with me. I absolutely love that. But but there is a real merit, I think. And, and what I started to realize is I, I sort of started to think of the university as this sort of virtual large development operation. And, and so 
when I had holes in my program, I sometimes went to other programs and took their people. Now, I, I'm guessing that doesn't help the overall. It did help the individuals, certainly. But I thought it was easier to do succession planning at the university level than it would be at the college level. And I got, like I said, I got a pipeline of three people. And, and I would hope the foundations would think that as well, that it's perfectly reasonable for someone from agriculture to come over into engineering if, if the role that I had was the next jump on that person's pathway. And that way, again, we don't lose all of the connections, right? If you think it's the relationships and all of a sudden I lose a person with 50 really strong relationships, there's nothing that that person can train up the next person to build those relationships instantaneously. It just does not happen like that. And so, you, I mean, you really want to be with people now. So, I mean, engineering at Arizona now is really in a good shape because they have had a person for, for something like seven or eight years. I think she's been there and they're running really well. And, and I think they picked up an extra player as well. So they're, they're staffed better. And they're really able to take advantage of all of the work that we did in, in building those relationships, right? It, it's easy for some development officers to get to 30 and 40, uh, a portfolio of 30 and 40 people per year. You visit them multiple times and you try to get a, a annual gift out of each one of those or a gift every two or three years out of each one of those. Unfortunately, that's when you say the cupboard is bare, right? That is not going to work in the long term. So no. you, you've really, and, and I, I'll, you know, I'll be honest, you were, you were extremely good at this. And every time well, I've uh, talked uh, with people about you uh, for different positions, this is one of the things that I bring up. Well, well, I appreciate it. I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I credit Barry for allowing me some, some yeah. uh, you know, liberty to, uh, to, to take chances and, and do different things. And, you know, that was a, that was a really, really good experience for me. You know, you, you talk about this uh, foundation thinking about succession. I tell you, in my experience, we all centrally, we always think about how do we maintain the momentum? How do we create a, opportunities for people to stay within the organization? But oftentimes we don't have a, a clear roadmap for them. And uh, so as we're thinking this, the other challenge that we have to navigate is from a faculty perspective. I've had in the past uh, conversations with deans that were not very pleased that John Doe is leaving their program to go to another program that pays really well within mm. the university. And so they say, well, we hire these people, they become part of and fabric of our college. We want them to stay here. And I said, I understand. And, you know, and we, of course we want that, but it's <laughs> very hard for me to yeah. tell somebody, Hey, school of medicine wants to hire, they're paying you 50 grand more. Why don't you just stay here in this role in this college? Yeah, the rich because get richer. Yes. Yeah. And so the rich colleges get better people. And and so so my strategy was I moved money from certain areas into others so I could be more competitive for the best people. And, and I always thought it was well worth paying to get the best team that I possibly could. Oh, yeah. And if I didn't have the best team on campus, I wanted to know why. And I, and I wanted them to help. How did we build the best team? relative to what we thought we could afford. And so, yeah, it can be difficult, especially under limited resources, but, but you do have to realize, and I mean, this is, I lose, I was losing faculty. If a faculty member wants to be a department head and you have two or three of those in the department, there's a problem because there yep. can be only one, right? It's the Highlander <laughs> model. There can be oh, only yeah. one. Yeah. And so, 
if those people really want to do that, then they've got to leave. That's the only way they could be successful. And in, in every case, I think I've helped people to leave, even though I thought it was painful to my institution and to my team, thought it was better at the individual level that I didn't, you know, try, you know, try to ask people to change their career goals. We, I mean, we, we, we had some administrative positions and we could give people some titles to sort of help with that. But in the long run, if you really wanted to be in the decision-making loop, and if, if you wanted to be a dean somewhere, it's not so easy to do that. If you haven't had a sequence of, of leadership experiences beforehand, that just means they have to leave. That, that's all part of the beauty of this business. And yep. uh, it's part of the of the strength and weakness of dealing with really strong people. So if you want really strong people, you should expect everybody to be thinking about leaving and getting better. And that's that's uh, that's reasonable. At the individual faculty level, I could sometimes put things, I could put equipment, I could put laboratory space, I could put uh, graduate student assistant money, I mean, I could do some financial things that would help to try to keep people there. But if they really wanted leadership, I, I had no alternatives, right? I only had a very fine, a small finite number of these positions. If you wanted one and you weren't the pick from the process, I didn't have real control succession planning for department heads. But I did want to make sure that I had somebody in those departments. I always like to have internal candidates that were potentially viable because I thought it was better for the morale of the department to know that they, they could always pick a person uh, in their own department that they knew and that was doable. And there's real merit for promoting from within if you can, or in, unless the unit was really struggling and, and you wanted a big change. So I, I tend to go external when I really wanted a big change. And I tended to go internal when the department was rolling pretty well. So, uh, so you know, speaking of that, that's uh, uh, that's very interesting. One university in in Pennsylvania. I'm not going to give them a big plug, but <laughs> one of the one of the things I really admire about their former uh, senior vice president was that he really believed in succession planning to the core. I mean, he established. He was one of the first to establish an internship program, in-house internship program. Mm -hmm they'll rotate juniors and seniors to work in different departments within advancement. And great idea. He, he would actually meet with the interns. I mean, the, the, the person coordinated that report directly to him. And those students, once they graduated, if there was an mm -hmm. opportunity within the university, then they'll get an entry level job. And so if you looked at, uh, you know, anybody coming into the organization at every level, they'll have a talent management uh, conversation and create a roadmap for the first five years. If you started off as an assistant director, if you have a favorable review, you get promoted after two years, you get promoted to associate. So mm -hmm. he took care of, of that first step for you. And he also invested in uh, you know, a, a leadership education for all the managers in-house and out. As a result today, there are at least a dozen vice presidents around the country at really large institutions that all came from that university. Yeah, and that, when I mean, you go to argue that's not a good solution. Yeah. yeah. And so I look at that and uh, I remember having a conversation with him. He said, you know, my legacy is how I've helped others advance and how I've helped our our profession by developing really strong leaders that are better than me. And I'll say I hire people that are much smarter than me, that bring in different ideas and I help them get to where they're trying to get to. And in some cases, uh, you know, he had all these uh, AVP types that wanted his job, but he said, I'm not going anywhere. 
and my number two is not going anywhere. So knowing that, let's train you up and get you ready for somewhere else because that's the that's the logical point. Uh, so so that, in, in industry, it's interesting, Kim, that you know, if you're a really aggressive dynamic company, it's hard to find a number two that is going to be patient to wait until the current lead goes away. And so it's hard to sustain it. There's a lot of luck and timing and luck in finding the right person. Uh, so if a person is going to be patient to wait, then uh, that might not be so hungry on that criteria. So it's it, it's interesting, certainly in the tech world, in you know how they do that kind of transition and, and how do they get a person enough responsibility and enough reward that they're willing to wait if they're really high quality it's, it's it's not an easy thing to do again in academics it's real it's really difficult on the research side it's not as difficult because i can put toys on the table but in the admin side i mean you know think about think about in even in your situation right it, it could have been possible that the person who was the senior director when you were the director could have been there for five more years, possibly. And that, that wouldn't have sat well with you. No, no. no yeah, there was not, nothing no. I could have done to, to, to remedy that situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, sometimes that happens. Uh, uh, going back to uh, something you mentioned here uh, a little bit about internal and external promotion. So one of the things that I've seen, and, you know, as we talk about succession planning, what's next is, Sometimes, you know, the internal crowd may feel like uh, you're creating some kind of good old boy network by, mm -hmm. you know, uh, setting up so-and-so's next and, uh, you know, John is right. next and it's married and so, so forth. So how do you frame it in a way that your internal uh, constituents, your team understands this is not about uh, me favoring so-and-so? It's more about me having done a comprehensive evaluation of an organization, yeah. getting input from other leaders, made a decision that these are the individuals that I want to position to succeed because they are going to drive the organization forward. So, so I wanted everyone to succeed, but there were certain people that, that got different, right? Everybody wasn't nominated for the Leadership Institute, for example. And, and so I think the only strategy there is you got to be really honest with people and, and tell them here's where they stand and here are the things that they need to do and uh, this is where i think the annual review is interesting and or semi-annual review whichever however you're doing those kind of things now but you really got to get the person thinking what is the next position for me and what is appropriate based on what i want to do my work-life balance my desire to do certain tasks Right. You really have to try to target. Now, I was lucky the University of Arizona was a really big place and there were lots of uh, lots of opportunities for people and they could really look around. So what we really wanted our supervisors to do is to work with people to think about what is the next jump? That's the most important one for us. What is the next jump? Right. And to get people prepared for that next jump. Now, if somebody came to me and they were an assistant director of development and said, I want my next jump to be the CEO of the University of Arizona Foundation, <laughs> well, we would have had to sit back and say, well, okay, let's think about what the path is to get yes. to that point. And let's sort of get you at least on that path, right? That that certainly wouldn't work. But if you're not going to be honest with people, then you're going to make decisions and people are going to look at it as though you're only playing favorites. 
right? That's a dream by the good old boy network. That, you know, uh, the only reason that person gets this is because, yeah. that, you know, they like Jeff likes them or they like Jeff or whatever, right? They're buddies. They go out golfing together, whatever, or something crazy like that. So you really do want to make sure you try to stay at arm's length and you have to be what's appropriate. And when new positions come up, people have to compete. Yeah. And, and so, so what do you I, think? Always, I tend to always have search committees that are separate from the decision maker. Okay. And, and so there's a, a sort of a wall between the decision maker and the search committee where the decision maker can talk about this is what I'm looking for, but then they're out of the process. And, and we certainly hire deans like that. We hire department heads like that as well. And we hire faculty like that also. And, and so even, even at, at levels like senior director, of development, we would have a, a team of staff and faculty mixed to work that process. And then I would take the data and then make the call. And it was very rare when I would go against the search committee's recommendation, extremely rare. So you really have to do real process, right? You can't do these fake processes because people figure that out. People figure out you're fake in about five seconds. Oh yeah. Um, and that's the people smart part of the equation, right? If you're a fake, you're working with smart people, they will see through you in literally five seconds. That won't take that. Maybe I won't even take that long. So what do you think of the idea of just a simple promotion from within? You have somebody, say they're an executive director, and there's an opportunity to be, you know, an AVP. Now I understand you we have to be competitive, so you have to apply and 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 go through mm -hmm. the process. But in some cases, do you see merit in saying, hey, you know, Jeff is doing a great job? Unless anybody objects, I want to promote Jeff uh, right away. I don't want to go through a search. So, so, so danger, danger. And so what does it mean unless anybody objects, right? So there's already a hierarchical relationship and people are hesitant to object when they feel the leader has an idea that they really like, mm -hmm. right? Because, oh, well, let's see if I get in the middle of that, that's, and oh, by the way, they might actually implement the decision. Then it will get back to the person who's the new AVP that I really didn't think that was the right way to do this. And therefore, I'm getting, yeah. So you start to get into all sorts of subtle pressures in all directions. So if the person is that good, they're going to win. You owe it to your organization to try to get the best person. And by the way, you may discover some other people in the process, and you may even decide, we want to bring that person in as well. Uh, and so you start to learn more things about your organization. So it, it's, it's, I find these hiring processes are great to use to figure out what is the real direction of the organization and what are you really trying, and what do people perceive that you're really trying to do? So I understand, you know, we're going to just sort of appoint somebody by acclamation. I always find those dangerous unless maybe it's in an interim role and it's understood to be an interim role. And then those things have all, I mean, I've done interim work a couple of times. And then there's the interim who really wants the position. And there's the interim who wouldn't be caught dead in the position. Uh, and then there's the interim who maybe able to be talked into the position, right? So all those kinds of things. But I, I urge I urge you to do real hiring processes in all cases, 
once you get above a certain level. I mean, if you have an admin assistant if to promote that person to admin associate, there's sort of nothing. We're not going to go interview you know 20 people for something like that, possibly. But if it's a, a an associate vice president and it, it just is better for the entire team that they perceive that it is a fair process. And especially now, I mean, it's, it's so easy to get caught in a trap where you pick people that sound, look, are culturally the same as the decision maker. It's so easy to get caught in this. And, and you can start to argue, well, you know, I really looked at everybody. Da, da, da. Come on. Come on, put put a real <laughs> process in, put put some distance between the decision maker and the evaluation group, let the evaluation group do their job, then let the decision maker make the call with uh, taking all the input in. They, they may pick badly, but at least then it wasn't the process necessarily that was bad. The decision maker yeah. has a clear bias at that point. You, so yeah, I, somebody... I, I hear what you're saying mm-hmm. and, and for the internal people, great idea. But wow, that's that's asking for trouble. And oh, by the way, a lot of leadership now, it's no longer baseball. It's not three strikes and you're out. It's now one strike and you're out. Oh yeah. And, and so you need shot. to really be careful. Yeah, you're, you, you, don't want, you don't want your team to perceive that you only help your friends. I mean, come on, that's really a bad situation. The beginning of the end, as you said. Yeah, I think that's that's really the be- that that's you're not going very far in an organization if if that's your reputation. Yeah. Well, unless it's your own company, right? Yeah. So, hey, 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 if, it, yeah. if it's uh, Naomi Inc., you know, I can appoint whoever I want to. Yeah, right? Naomi Inc. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> like as we that. as we wrap up here, uh, what are the two key takeaways on succession planning that you would like our audience uh, to 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 keep in mind? Succession planning is really a piece of this level five leadership, and you should be striving to be level five leader. And, and the real issue isn't necessarily the succession planning piece, is it's it's getting with each individual op- person and trying to figure out what are their opportunities and how do we prepare them for that next position. That's really what the goal is. And in out of that comes a succession plan, or, or like I said, I like the term deep bench because I wanna be able to pick from a lot of people. I mean, I would rather people compete for positions and and even if it's internal, that's perfectly fine. Let's compete for positions. I know there are gonna be some people are unhappy. They're not gonna get a position, they may leave. Okay, I I understand that there can be only one. So I never felt that, you know, turnover was terrible in all cases. But what I did feel was having people around that didn't feel like they were part of the organization, didn't see any path forward. I mean, that, that then you start to get, you get disengaged employees, right? They're engaged yes. employees, disengaged employees, and actively disengaged employees. And if you get a person to actively disengage, there's a problem there. Oh, yeah. Big problem. Right? So, they, they, again, all of these come from the same kinds of leadership uh, books and ideas. So that's number one. I, I think the second one is that despite the best laid plans, get ready because there's a lot of randomness in these processes and and people's goals change, right? right. I mean, hey, uh, I'll use my own example, right? I was whatever, graduate student, I'm going to go to a research university, I'm going to be a great researcher, work on really hard problems, had a child, had a second child. Hmm. All of a sudden, soccer coach got interesting. 
I don't know anything about soccer. Okay. <laughs> Didn't know anything. Okay. I read a couple of books. That's it. Didn't know anything about soccer. All of a sudden, yeah. baseball coach got interesting. Baseball, I knew a lot more. Okay. Yeah, Pittsburgh. Yeah, Pirates. That's right. I knew I knew a lot more. We saw, by the way, I saw the Pirates in uh Rockies last night. Pirates How were was terrible. It? Did, did they, no, they only lost 13, they only lost 13 to 2. Oh man. Uh, but the stadium is gorgeous. The food is good. Donna enjoyed it. Yeah. So it was really, yeah, it was a good game. <laughs> <laughs> and so the goals change. Yeah. People's behaviors change. They decide to do something else that, you know, on the faculty side, all of a sudden a person gets a great idea and they're spending half their time in the startup business. That That's not great for your research productivity and, and getting research grants and writing lots of papers and advising lots of students sometimes. Yeah. So, you know, the university is doing a lot of things differently now than they used to do when I started in 1985. And so we, we have the leadership of the university has to be able to change with the processes as well. And again, I think succession planning is typically an industry mentality, yes. right? So I, I don't say we should rig the game and pick people. You know, we're seeing this right at Purdue. Mm -hmm. yep. We saw Mitch Daniels is basically, you know, it, it looks right from, you know, I don't, I haven't read everything about it, but it looks as though he selected the next president who, I was the dean of engineering. I don't see anything wrong with Purdue having a, a, an engineer who's the president. That's perfectly reasonable. To yes. Me. But what people complain about is the process. Exactly. And, and rightly so. And so think about the processes. Think about how they impact the rest of the team and, and work with processes that people look at you as a fair and honest broker. And in development, if your donors don't think you're a fair and honest broker, that's the end of your business. Oh, yeah, you're done. Right. You're, you're totally so you, you have to have complete credibility right, in, in that business. People have to trust you explicitly. They're, they're trusting you with their money. It's not, it's never your money, right? It's, it's always their money. They're just letting, there's, there's putting it in trust for you to use like you would want them to, would like them to use it. Right? So yeah, I was, uh, especially I was, uh, for large gifts. Yeah. I was having lunch with a gentleman who's extremely wealthy, owns a lot of real estate. And if you look at him, he just looks like a, another surfer dude from Santa Cruz. Awesome. And, uh, and he said to me, the more of accumulated wealth, the more everybody that comes to meet me wants something from me. Yeah. He said, that's yeah, why uh, the rich hang out with the rich and they stay with the rich because yeah. when I'm with other people with money, we don't talk about, you know, trying to get something from each other. We just, uh, you know, have those conversations and, and it dawned upon me, he, he knows what I do. And he was surprised. First of all, I was, I was treating him for lunch and said, you know, nobody, people usually want me to pick up the tab. And then se secondarily, he said, he started talking about his passions, starts talking about wanting to help with a homeless problem and things like yeah. that. And, you know, uh, recidivism with, with, uh, you know, inmates uh, that, that are released. So now I could have uh, plugged in something that we, we do at my institution, but, I didn't think that that was the right thing to do. And so I shared information with him about homeboy industries in LA that helps oh, uh, yeah. incarcerated people. I said, this would be a really great thing for you to do. And it was very appreciative. So now we have an authentic relationship and that's going to lead to better things down the line because I was listening to him and I'm working based on his time frame. So I really uh, appreciate it. Well, there you have it, folks. I'm Kim Naoni, and thanks for tuning in to Mentorship Matters. 